0: you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, turn into WP 88.7, Brave New Radio. We got managers, producers, record labels. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> we are Music Biz 101 and more, brave New radio 80.7 WPSC, the only radio station way past the University of White, New Jersey 7470 i I'm your Professor David Kirk-Philp, along with your Dr. Professor Esteban. Mark Ernie. We are very happy to have you here, listening to Music Biz 101 and more, the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud, the radio show on WPSC. We are here in, where are we? We're in the bowels of the Nashville Convention Center. The bowels of the Nashville Convention Center. It smells very nice, though. These are sweet-smelling yes, bowels. Yes,
1: room. Yes. I'm serious. What's it doing outside? No, we just came from lunch. So. Yes, it's,
0: it's beautiful outside in Nashville. We're happy to be here. We want to give thanks to the Music Business Association for giving us the space. We're doing all sorts of interviews here in Nashville at Music Biz 2017. So thank you to Jim Donio and help Nicole Hennessy and all the staff there. Our guest today for yes. the show is Alex Cram with a K-R-A-M, Alex with an A-L-I-X, which is even more cool, uh. mm-hmm. one could say cooler.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She's a VP global brand licensing for Warner Music Artist Services. Um, We also have Jessica Essex from Detroit, Michigan. Jessica Essex. Big big claps for both of them. Jessica Essex, our MBA in music management student, who is going to be leading our interview. Yes. Um, So we wanted to uh, introduce both of them. And then we real quick want to give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno, Inc., and White Hat Management with artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, Kiss, St. Vincent. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB. vb-cpa.com when you are ready. And we want to give thanks to Rob Fusari. We know there's no Lady Gaga without uh, Rob, Rob Fusari <laughs> who produced... you ever heard of Rob Fusari? Mm-mm. He's a songwriter. He went to our school. He produced The Fame with Lady Gaga. Okay. He's won Grammy Awards. We roll our... our, I, our, I our I see. Yes. Oh. And let's see, what else has he done? He's also done Wild Wild West with Will Smith. Mm-hmm. He uh, Delicious. There is no Delicious without Rob, Rob Fusari. Rob. Rob, sorry, thank you very much. With three All right, sorry, no, it begins no, with no. three. Right. At the end of this, you're going to hear Don't Let Love Down by Rob, which we appreciate his support. And that's how Jessica was able to stay here. Because it's of the nice room. luxurious rooms here at the Renaissance Nashville, because of Rob Fusari and Van, Van Dyne Thank Inc. you, Rob. Thank you. Thank you, Rob, very much. And we want to tell everybody by Managing Your Band 6th Edition. It's available as you listen to this on Amazon. And also, Alex gets a free copy of Managing Your Band just for being on this interview. Oh, Alex oh Graham, everybody, with an A-L-I-X. Yay. So, there is no more ado to be furthered. Jessica, you take it away.
2: Okay. So, I think we should just dive right into it. Sure. Um, I see that you founded the Cram Collective, so if you could just give me a little background on that, because, you know, I'm still a little shaky on the whole entrepreneurship thing. (laughs) I'm sure other listeners out there are on the fence about it as well, so could you perhaps give a little background on that for us?
1: Sure. So, I spent many years at Viacom working on a variety of entertainment brands. And when I most recently left Viacom, right before that, I was working with Nickelodeon and SpongeBob as a brand and kind of created a new area of growth, which was the idea of pairing our entertainment properties with established brands in the fashion and the music space to kind of create a halo effect um, in the consumer products world. So how do we make SpongeBob cool again? You partner with Pharrell and create a capsule collection. You partner with Moschino and you do a fashion line at Milan Fashion Week. All of a sudden, he's in vogue globally. So I thought that that was something really interesting and something a lot of other entertainment companies weren't doing at the time. So I left. I spent a long time at Nickelodeon, so it was like I was graduating. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was that I had amassed an amazing group and network of people that were incredible at their various expertises. And because I had worked with a variety of agencies in my previous role, I kind of knew what I liked and what I didn't like about the agency model, and so the collective was formed. Um, I wasn't creative enough, creative enough to come up with a more kind of fun name, so it ended up being the Cram Collective. But the idea was that um, for any given project, I would bring on people that had a specific expertise and we would work collectively to deliver. And so, I met certain people, maybe had full-time jobs, but they would work with me on specific projects. And the idea was that you always had creative diverse thinking from people that were experts in their field but also passionate about what they wanted to do. So that's kind of okay. the birth of that.
2: Awesome. Is this something that you're still doing or are you strictly being the VP of Global Branding.
1: Yeah, I mean, the collective was my baby. It always will be. Um, And a lot of the network that came out of the collective certainly helps me in my role now at Warner Music. Um, So they kind of feed each other in in really wonderful, wonderful ways.
2: So speaking of this wonderful position that you have at Warner Music Artist Services, um, I'm curious to know maybe a little more about what exactly... Um, is involved with being the VP like what do you do and what is your day to day
1: (sighs) my day to day there is no day to day that is normal that's one thing I learned when I joined the music industry it's been a wild ride Um, coming from Viacom where everything was very structured and it was very much a 9 to 5 I think Julie Greenwald said in her conversation last night that um, it's you know it's a night game uh, the music industry and and that I learned very quickly so I realized and I also have two phones as a separation of church and state <laughs> because I realized that certain managers and artists want access to you 24 7 which means you could be at wow. dinner at 9, 10 o'clock at night and you're getting facetimed and messages and voicemails and so the, the ability to leave that at home was important um, so that was kind of under my my terms but My day-to-day is I service all of the artists on the Warner Music roster that have 360 deals. 360 is kind of a funky term in the music space. Um, We look at it as all of the non-music opportunities that an artist can bear. So that's brand licensing, which is what I do, as well as ticketing, VIP experiences, and merch, um, whether it's on tour or online.
2: Oh, so... Um, you did. You were a moderator for a session here at Music Biz 2017 involving brand and strategic partnership summit. You were a part of that, and you mentioned how some artists are being more involved with their brands and things of that such. So I'm curious if you could perhaps give an example of maybe a project that was shocking to you, or you were the pr- planning was maybe different, or it was just a unique type of project that you have worked on recently since you've been in this position?
1: I think every project that I've worked on since I've been in this position has been unique. Um, licensing in the broad stroke of the word, as far as brand licensing is concerned, ha- is very formulaic, right? So you take um, a property, in SpongeBob's case, it was SpongeBob, a cartoon character. In an artist's case, it's, you know, their name and their likeness, and you lend it to a manufacturer to create product as a result when you're dealing with the music space and you're dealing with real-life human beings and sometimes emotional artists, um, that by default makes every project unique because you're dealing with kind of the day-to-day changes that come with, um, you know, evolving as an artist themselves and what does that look like from a product perspective. So one of the most recent ones, we just launched on 420, uh, Wiz Khalifa's Weed Farm. (laughs) So... um, Brand licensing, uh, which is not to confuse with sync licensing, we don't deal with the music exactly. We deal, like I said, with name and likeness. That means product can exist virtually as well. So it's not just physical product that is sold at your brick and mortar retail stores, but something you can buy on your mobile phone and play. Uh, it's an addicted game. Um, Wiz as a brand is very much about the cannabis industry or the cannabis business. I've learned more <laughs> than I ever thought I would learn about the can of business working in this role and working with Wiz specifically. We do a lot of business with Wiz. Um, he has his own rolling paper line with raw rolling papers. Um, but this game was a massive undertaking. I would never launched a digital product like this before, and every detail of his branding that went into it had to have a very close eye. Um, so, and, yeah. You know,
0: <laughs> Who came up with the idea of the game, though? Was it from his side? They said, we know an app developer. We want to make this game, and then we want you to just...
1: No, so Wiz really wanted a game, Mm -hmm. and he's kind of emerged as this generation's um, spokesperson for this industry, right? Mm -hmm. And he himself smokes a lot of weed. He has his Khalifa Kush. He's been making a lot of announcements in this space, and he likes tech. He's actually very passionate about it and thought it would be a really great idea to do something in the gaming space. So my team worked tirelessly for about a year, you know, researching, figuring out who are the right developers, who can we bring to the table that will really see this vision through to the end. um, And we put something together that is the product that's out there today.
0: And then, so you guys were... I'm trying to – not trying to yeah. I'm just trying to dive down so it's sure. really clear. So um, this, he and his manager say we want to do this game. Yeah. Um, you run with it. Yeah. And so you got your team, and then you research. You've met game developers. Did you I, did you go to game conferences? Was it just you Googled, and or you, was it word of mouth how you found who would ultimately develop the game? Then I guess who? – I'm sorry. Then yeah. you, I guess you had a budget at some point, some point, and you had to work under that and tell me if I'm wrong about that. And then – in terms of branding and licensing where's the money changing hands who's making how is revenue being generated by this
1: sure so this is definitely not your traditional licensing deal traditional (coughs) licensing Mm -hmm. deal is you're looking at some sort of an advance with a minimum guarantee and Mm -hmm. royalties against every product sold that's very easy to do when it's a t-shirt when it's a mobile game the, the revenue models by default of it being in the mobile space are very different so the model of how we apply licensing to that has to be very different so we didn't go to game conferences. Um, I kind of spoke to the network that I had gained over many years of just dealing in with kind of deals mm. like this, and I just put feelers out and was like, hey, who do, who do people know in this space? What could we do? This is something that he's interested in. Wiz is a big name to attach to anything, so it's not hard to get people excited about the opportunity. Um, And then just kind of doing the due diligence as far as, you know, can they really bring this to life the way that he wants it to in the time frame that he wanted to because it was a very aggressive time frame. He wanted to launch it on 420, which is kind of your unofficial (laughs) official weed celebration day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And we had to work backwards that time frame. Most developers don't work that way. Mm -hmm. They don't work with hard deadlines. It's kind of an ongoing and fluid process. And... Um, so this was very unique in that way. And in terms of the structure of the deal, we had to look at things very differently. Um, Wiz was very involved. You're, you're not looking at, you know, major upfronts because the developer is investing so much time and energy and their own resources into the actual creation of the game. So you, you kind of have to look at things creatively. Um, from a revenue perspective, it is a free game to download. So the revenue is driven by the in-app purchases and advertising.
0: Mm-hmm. And the developer is making money from that, or was there a payment made to them in the beginning so that they could afford to do this?
1: <clears throat> no, we don't. Um, we didn't pay the developer. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it, it's a partnership in a lot of respects. Uh, they know that space. They have the resources to develop something that we put out. Um, and Wiz lends his network of influence and his name and his likeness to the game. So both parties came together and agreed upon deal terms that made sense, um, kind of making the vis- investment outright from like a sweat standpoint mm-hmm. and then both reaping the reward of the revenue that was to come. So we both share, both parties share in the revenue that's driven from the in-app purchases and advertising. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. That's interesting. I'm a big Wiz fan, and I had no idea. Download the game, girl. had a game. I don't partake in weed, but, you know, I love his music and things like that. It's (laughs) very addictive.
0: Weed or the The game? The (laughs) game. I wouldn't say weed's (laughs) addictive.
2: I would not know. But I'm going to take a step back. Yeah. So you mentioned that you worked for Nickelodeon for 10 years, which I I, I still like Nickelodeon, being 23 years old. But um, I'm curious, what... Um, lessons and experiences did you take from Nickelodeon that or maybe things that you took from that that helped you where you are now at Warner Music what lessons did you take from that
1: yeah I mean again um, I think that working with animated characters is very different from working with real true artists and and that's who I work with in the music space Um, so So with that, there's a formality and process that came with dealing with animated properties and strategic planning and and that type of thing. You were able to really plan long range. That is not applicable at all to the music (laughs) industry because we all know album release dates shift constantly or an artist might get sick and not be able to go on tour, whatever the reasons may be. And product development timelines are so long that it's really hard to be so flexible with those shifts that happen naturally in music so um so that was a frustration point but it was a learning right because i was able to gain that formal structure and process and strategic planning which is what i learned at nickelodeon and figure out how do i morph that in a way that actually fits the music space like how do i bring some level of order and process and formality knowing the flexibility and shift of stuff um, but apply it in a way that could actually be beneficial for everyone
2: that's great so I know that we have a variety of listeners students like myself would like to hear from you because a lot of people I know I personally didn't really look at the branding side of things and I know more artists are doing that because it's a great revenue source but I would like to know from what your opinion is regarding how um, what advice would you give a student because I know you weren't originally in the music industry so there might be some people who didn't start there but they might want to transition and be there so i'm curious um what would your advice be with someone who wants to make that transition if they came from a different sector and want to move into the music industry like you did
1: yeah i think just a passion for learning and that general sense of curiosity and that love for life i mean I, i think for me that's always been a cornerstone of how i like to live daily and it's it served me well in my career i didn't go to school for anything related to marketing or media, as a classical studies major, I studied Latin. Hmm. Like <laughs> no one speaks Latin. <laughs> so, Et tu, Alex? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, but even then, I studied what I was passionate about learning about. And you know, when I talk to people today, like I went back to my high school and spoke to kids. Um, for me, whether it's music, art, product, all of it is a form of storytelling. And um, I learned from some of the greatest storytellers I ever were, which were the Romans and the Greeks and the Egyptians, right? So that's how I parlay that into how I'm, when I'm and what I'm doing now. Um, so my advice is just to, you know, be passionate in your pursuits, whatever they may be, because the universe is amazing and it'll respond if you put it out there.
2: Okay.
0: May I ask a question? Yeah. So, okay, going back to your, your overall job responsibilities. Yeah. You're not create, you're not involved in, because I know Warner Music Artist Services deals with merch, for, for example, yes. um, shirts and things, uh, for an artist to sell while they're on tour, for example. That's sure. not necessarily your domain. You're more about going outside of the industry to find opportunities.
1: Yeah. Um, yes. In theory, that is my role, is to find opportunities outside of their own <clears throat> channels, to broaden their exposure and revenue potential. Mm -hmm. Um, And we certainly do that in a variety of ways. But because of the relationships that I have in the manufacturing space, sometimes they can be beneficial to our team that does handle the direct merch. An example of that is Melanie Martinez, who's on uh, Atlantic, an amazing star, uh, really wanted to have her own fragrance. And she came up with this idea at a point where her star was still very much rising. Um, and if you know anything about the celebrity fragrance world, which would typically be a licensing deal, yeah. uh, it is a challenge space right now at retail, and it's very saturated. And so you have to be mega, mega, mega for any of those guys to kind of pay attention. So
0: those guys, meaning the buyers at retail, to meaning give the shelf licensees. Space. Oh, okay.
1: Uh, meaning the the big fragrance licensees, whether it's okay. a deal with a major brand or a retailer or a manufacturer for that level of distribution, because it's such a tough space, you have to be like le- superstar, global, international level. But Melanie was passionate. She listened to her fans. She knew her fans wanted her to have a fragrance. Her fans are super engaged, and she has a very devoted following. So I was able to pull from my network of manufacturers to bring that fragrance to life. So we created that and worked with her over months and months and months to develop this fragrance from scratch. And it's a very high-end fragrance. It's a very unique, completely bespoke bottle and packaging, and we sell it direct consumer through uh, crybabybottle.com directly to her fans. So in that instance, you could call it merch, but I don't see it as that because it's very much an extension of her brand. It doesn't feel like a, a t-shirt. It's very mm-hmm. unique, but it's also not sold outside of her world. So I kind of can become a bit of a catch-all, which I love because every mm-hmm. day is different.
0: And that's probably a better deal for her as well, revenue-wise, because she's not, there's no sharing with retail.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can look at it in a variety of different ways. Mm -hmm. You could argue that, okay, well, she's selling direct to her fans, so she doesn't have the volume distribution that you would if you were sold at, like, Macy's. Um, But she had a very specific vision. So she wholly, like, this is her baby, truly. Um, And she was able to see it completely come to life exactly the way she wanted, which may not always be the case if you have to cater to a consumer um, of a different channel. You have to kind of bend to those expectations as well.
0: So that was her idea, then do you guys actively come up with ideas that you pitch to your, to the people who are signed under water? Yeah, for
1: sure, it's always easier when the artist has the idea, and I loved when artists are engaged and understand that this is a really viable opportunity and space for them to be in. Um, When they get it, it's amazing, it makes my life easier. Mm -hmm. And when they get it and they're passionate about it, it also helps with sales, organically, obviously. Um, but, yeah, certainly we pitch things all the time uh, to artists, mostly because we're constantly having conversations with brands and manufacturers or retailers that may take an interest, and we pitch it. And we're one thing that I love about Warner is we're very artist-friendly, so we'll never do anything if the artist doesn't want to do it, um, which can make my life challenging and difficult mm-hmm. at times to manage my relationships on the outside. But uh, at the end of the day, it makes sense because you don't ever want to sell something that's, you know, kind of a fraud of sorts. Mm
0: -hmm. It has to be an extension of the artist's ethos, their brand, their image. Yeah,
1: absolutely. But there's there's different instances. The Grateful Dead is one of my biggest properties. Mm -hmm. Grateful Dead is a massive licensing business they're an evergreen property they're a brand in and of itself and none of their product has any of the images of the band on there it's the name and it's the complete library of assets that have been associated with the band for the last 50 years from the dancing bears to the steal your face and that's very marketable and music's very on trend right now so there are a lot of brands that want to be in that world and so we pitch things to the dead all the time um, ranging from you know whether it's a skateboard to a high fashion line to, um, you know, a spirit or whatever it may be, and they have the right to say yes or no.
0: Can any DIY artists follow this model? Because if they aren't signed to a label but they understand what you're doing and that there are opportunities there, is there anything that they could replicate on their own?
1: Yeah, I think we see that a lot in the urban space, Mm -hmm. in the hip hop world. There's just inherently a very entrepreneurial spirit in that genre, if you want to call it a genre, um, where, you know, people hustle and they understand the potential of their brand and they understand that it's beyond the music sometimes. And so they build that following on their own. And they launch their mixtape. They have a whole product line to go with it. And it's incredible. They're super resourceful. And we love that, too, because say they come to sign with the label, they already have a baked-in consumer base that they've already marketed to. So absolutely you can do it on a DIY standpoint. And sometimes you may even find that your merch or your product is more of a success than the music necessarily mm-hmm. because it's the lifestyle.
0: I remember we've had Matt Young and Dan Goldberg on a That's couple times. That's my boss. Yeah, <laughs> which one? Matty. Matt. Matt, great guy. Awesome. And he talked about how 21 Pilots uh, was signed to the label and the great benefit to the band of a extended rights slash 360 deal was, that while in the beginning the music wasn't selling that much, the merch was really moving, and that was a key indicator for them that we really do have something
1: there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We look to that, too, all the time. Um, to get someone else invested in your brand, you have to show the success points, right? Mm-hmm. So even though I don't touch the music side as much, I am talking to retailers and different brands out there and, and sometimes I'm talking to them at a point where the artist hasn't fully broken yet in the traditional music sense of breaking an artist but we're seeing such great tour numbers or their per heads per night are so high that it convinces these guys that otherwise wouldn't look at this particular artist or band to, to invest in them and, and take a risk and, and, and launch something with them that could potentially be quite successful
0: mm-hmm. Great. Okay. I have a final question
2: Yes, so being that you are the VP of Global Brand Licensing, I'm, I can imagine you're swamped with hundreds of things to do, but I'm curious, you know, with that, what are some challenges that you may come across being in that position or things like that? I know you mentioned that something was challenging, so that's why.
1: Yeah, but I mean, there's, the, the, the challenge and the blessing of my role is no day is the same, um, which I love because it forces you to be creative and you're constantly dealing with curveballs you could sign a deal and you know I'm dealing in negotiations and contracts right so I have the business side and the creative side and sometimes you know, the creative side doesn't always marry with the business and you can sign a contract and you may have an artist be like, you know, I don't feel like doing it anymore. (laughs) And then you have to, that's a challenge. It's, (laughs) all right, well, we can't be breach of contract, so how can I finesse this and figure this out so that the relationship isn't damaged and, you know, there there aren't dollars spent unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. So that's an ongoing challenge, but it's also the most exciting part of the job. I would agree.
0: You must feel great when you figure out a way to overcome
1: yeah that type of
0: roadblock. <laughs> it's you know?
1: problem solving every day. Right. Every day. Mm-hmm. It's on so many different levels, which I love. And it's not a nine to five, which if anyone knows me, I'm a night owl, so it suits me, me quite too. well.
0: <laughs> well <laughs> you saw so, you solved the problem for us because we didn't know about enough about this and now we do. Oh good yeah. I'm glad. So we should really give Alex Cram a big hand for yeah. being great. Yeah. Thank you. There you go. Thank you. So and Jessica you. Essex, we should thank you for bringing it, bringing the A game. So thank you, Jessica. Thank you. Jessica, yeah. all the way from Detroit, Michigan. Yes, yes. Here to make it happen. So good job. And Dr. Esteban Marconi, we want to thank you for all that you did. Well. And he continues. <laughs> he can. He just gives, constantly giving. And I'm your professor, David. Yes, <laughs> David And I will give you all I have, 24 seven. I'll Spanish. be a night owl. I'll be a morning a dove. I will give you whatever I have. In Spanish. And at the end of every show, we do not say hello. And you may say this with me. We're going to say adios really loud. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one.
2: Adios!
0: Hold it. Oh! So hold the
1: S.
2: I can't remember when. You looked at me and cried, said something broke inside of you. My best friend, whatever come my way, you know I'm yours until the end.